Hey, beautiful people. Welcome to the BU Podcast. I'm your host, Ariel Von Bretter. My mission is to empower people to become the best versions of themselves so that they can live their best lives. I'm redefining success so people stop living the lives they think they should live and start living the lives they love. Join me weekly as I share my own insights and speak with guests that have embraced their unique gifts into living life on their terms. I hope these conversations inspire you to make the most out of your life by being your best self. Remember, be you, be beautiful. Hey, you guys, what if I told you that you can't think your way out of stuck? When I heard that, I was like, what are you talking about? My go-to move is thinking. Like when I don't know what to do, I think about it. And that's probably why I struggle with being stuck and might be why you're feeling stuck too. And this idea of not thinking my way out of stuck is mind-blowing, but it's not the only thing that blew my mind when I started to read The Science of Stuck by Britt Frank. Reading this book not only changed how I saw being stuck, but also made me rethink my mental health, anxiety, procrastination, and many other parts of being human. And I'm so honored that I got to speak with Britt Frank for today's episode. Britt shares some of the tools to get unstuck, like listening to your body, focusing on all the things that you've actually gotten done, seeing anxiety as information, and redefining trauma as brain indigestion. With this episode, Britt uses simple metaphors to shine a new light on mental health and stuckness to remind you that there is nothing wrong with you. We don't have to know everything to move forward. We just need to tap into ourselves to take the first step. And this episode is just the tip of the iceberg of what's shared in The Science of Stuck. I highly recommend this book if you're ready to see things differently and get out of your own way. I can't wait to see what steps you're going to take next to get unstuck. Enjoy! Before we get into the show, I wanted to take a moment to share how I host my podcast using Anchor. It's free and easy to use. You can record and edit using your phone or computer, and then Anchor distributes your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. It's super easy to use, and they do the work for you. I highly recommend using Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on to the show. Britt, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm just so excited to have this conversation with you. You are a clinician, an educator, a trauma specialist, and the author of the new book, The Science of Stuck, Breaking Through Inertia to Find Your Path Forward. And I have just loved your book and I'm excited to dive into it. But before we like really get into that, I just, I want you to take us back to like, where did it all start? Like, how did you get to this point? (laughs) Where did it all start? My origin story. So I grew up in New York and a a pretty, you know, like stereotypically Long Island Jewish family and, you know, meandered around life. And I didn't come out of college, a functional adult and let's be a therapist. I, you know, beat my head on walls and I had all kinds of mental health challenges. And eventually I figured some things out and I learned a few things. And then it was like, okay, everybody needs to know this stuff. So I did a month, like a monster life pivot, went back to grad school when I was 31, became a therapist. And here we are. Oh my God. I love it. We'll take us like <laughs> deeper into that. Cause I'm just like, yeah, no one, I mean, at least know what I know. I feel like graduates from college and is like a functional adult. And that's uh-uh. what we all think. We all think like, oh, we're going to go to school and then life's going to be perfect. And that's it. But like, that's not the case. So <laughs> not at all. Like they should be teaching, you know, like 
philosophy of blah, blah. It's like, how to do a budget? Like, here's what you do when you want to drink your rent money away. You know, it's they, I did not learn how to adults at all until way later in life. And so I wish that we would be taught how to adult and we're not, and there's no magical you know, line that says, okay, now you have crossed over from childhood to adulthood. You now have a full set of skills installed in your brain. Go. (laughs) That would be magical. (laughs) It would be so magical. And so the book is really just here are the skills I picked up. Here are the tools I learned and here's what I did. So I could not be, you know, a hot mess and you don't have to be a hot mess either. Right. Yeah. I love it. And so kind of take us back to that point of where you kind of made like this pivot in your life of like, all right, I'm going to go back to school and become a therapist. Like why, why was that important? Like what, what, where were you at in your life? Mm -hmm. So by that point I had, I still wasn't, you know, like rocking the whole adulting thing, but I was functional. I was able to hold down a job. Um, I had, you know, I was able to eat food. You know, I had an eating disorder for a while. I wasn't doing drugs. I was eating food and I had at least the basics of humaning, you know, at least regularly consistently under wraps. And I was at a job where I saw this group of women and they were talking really about really deep things. And Mm -hmm. like, I want to be doing that. Like, I just want to sit in a room somewhere with a group of people talking about the the things I don't want to have to do these other life things. I just want to talk about the things of humaning all day, every day. And that was sort of my, well, how do I do that? Well, you're going to have to like go back to school and you're going to have to wait tables and you're going to have to, you know, sort of hustle and grind and okay. So fine. So I did. And here we are. Oh, I love that. And I'm kind of curious if like, because I think so many people, and especially like when we're talking about like, you know, the science of stuck, I mean, it takes a lot to kind of like go back to school. And especially, I mean, you said you went back at 31 and like, that is not late at all. But for some people it's it's like, oh my gosh, I'm in my thirties. It's too late to change my life. But yes. And I was the oldest one in my, well, that's not true. I was one of the older people in my class. You know, if you graduate from undergraduate at 22, a lot of people go straight through. So I'm in a room full of all these 23 year olds. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm old. And that's just (laughs) not true. It's all relative. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, but yeah, it was super humbling to start over. And so, and so worth it. So did did you have any like doubts when you were starting over or were you just like, I know this is going to be my thing. Doubts as far as what I wanted? No. Doubts as far as am I going to be able to take care of myself and feed myself? Yes. But I have, you know, a very helpful little skill set as a server or waitress. I've done that for years and years and years. So I do know that, you know, if everything goes to hell in a handbasket, you know, I could put on my nonstick shoes and sling food around. So that's, that's helpful to know, but no, I was terrified of starting over and what would that mean? And what would I have to do? And, you know, when there's always a way that's not true, there's not always a way, you know, if you have resources and access and, you know, you have a generally safe enough environment, there's almost always a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there is kind of always a way of like, you can always figure it out, you know, even if it doesn't look how you imagined or Mm -hmm. you you might have to do something uncomfortable for a little bit, but yeah, there, there is always a way. (laughs) And so let's like get into your book. I loved it so much. And I like, as I'm reading it, I'm just like, 
like typically with like self-help books, like you read it and you're like, okay, yeah, this is a good reminder. I know I'm supposed to do this, but like with yours, I'm just like, oh, I never thought about that. Like I've just been having, (laughs) I've been having so many aha moments and like looking at things differently. And so to just kind of like get started with discussing your book, like tell us about like, what is stuck? Why do we get stuck? Mm. So, well, really this book is the book I needed when I was going through my personal healing journey and it didn't exist. What I needed was one book, not 20, where you just had the most important points from all this, like kind of like Cliff's notes, you Mm -hmm. know, like, I don't want to read 10 books on addiction. Just give me the top 10 bullet points I need to know so I can start moving. I don't want to know everything about relationships. Just give me like, here's just what you need to know to get started. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when we're talking about stuck, that's really when we feel like there are no choices, there's no information, we're going nowhere fast and we're spinning our wheels. And then we think we have to, you know, climb to the summit of Mount Everest in order to feel better. And it's like, no, you don't actually have to do the big things to get unstuck. You just not just, but to get unstuck, there are small things that if you have just a few pieces of information, like it's like driving a car. I'm not an auto mechanic. I don't know how it all works. I know just enough that I can get in my car and go where I want to go. You know, when you get sick, if you have the stomach flu, you don't need to be a doctor to know, drink water, eat crackers and rest. So with our mental health, I think we were not taught, but it's sort of a cultural thing that we're expected to be able to do these great things and hit these huge goals, which is awesome. But when you're stuck, let's just get moving first. Once you get moving, all that stuff works itself out. So, you know, this book is really, how do we get started? Not how do we summit, but how do we get started? Yeah. And I think that's just like so important. I think that's kind of something that like I've definitely been learning over like the last few years of just like, just like a small step forward is all you need to like get going. But I think that, you know, we like, we see everyone, especially with social media, we see like, they're like big things. And we're like, how do we get to that big thing? And like, we talk about like these big goals and achieving them, but it's just like, no, it's like the like teeniest, tiniest step to get going. And especially when you're like in, um, you know, dealing like with mental health and everything feels so hard. It's just like, but I just need like a little something to like keep going or get going. Right. But we're all myself included. I still do this. I mean, I see a therapist still cause I'm fully human, but yeah. we are so quick to invalidate our small steps. It's like, Oh, that doesn't mm-hmm. count. Oh, you know, yeah. I paid off one bill, but I still have a hundred thousand dollars of debt or yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I cooked a meal for myself instead of smoking 25 cigarettes and drinking Mountain Dew. That was my thing. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't count and everything counts. I mean, really, if, yeah. if most people, most people, if they made absolutely no changes, it except to start counting the small things they're doing well, that would get them unstuck very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that. I actually was listening to something yesterday and someone was just talking about how like they're at this conference and someone, um, you know, wanted to ask a question and they like didn't for a while, but then they like raised their hand, but they didn't get called. And like, they were still like, they were bummed about like not getting like called on, but it was just like, but you still did a great thing by raising your hands. Like that's yes. like a small thing, like acknowledge yes. that. And when you're depressed, getting out of bed and not suiciding 
counts as a win. And so, you know, a a quick, you know, life hack is at the end of every day, write down 20 things that you did well. And most people, Mm -hmm. when I give them that assignment are like, I didn't do 20 things. Well, like everything sucks. Everything is crap. It's like, I get that. And we're not trying to do the toxic positive, like, yay, just put a sunshine on it. But (laughs) the fact of the matter is, is if you have survived a 24 hour period, I guarantee you, you can find 20 things that you did well. You know, even if it's, I did not kill anybody. I did not do this. And I did not, you know, do this. And I managed to eat. And when I had to use the restroom, I went like, it's amazing if you're paying attention, how many small things were all discounting, you know, it's like coins on the street count as money. So if we're scooping up all these pennies, eventually they're going to add up. And so not just, that's like throwing a handful of change in the garbage when we don't count our small wins. It's like, no, 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 stick that in the piggy bank and it will add up very quickly. Yes. I don't, I love that. And I, that's another thing that I've kind of learned recently is to like, look at like the things that you've actually gotten done in a day. Cause I think so often we have like a to-do list and we're like, oh my gosh, I didn't do anything today. And you look at this long to-do list and like, you didn't do anything. And it makes you feel like shit. Cause it's just like, uh, but then it's like, but what did you do? Like, it's okay if you did something else instead, if it was still, you know, something to like help you keep going. Yes. And like the to-do list should really, you know, be matched with a, a done list. So yeah. my to-do list is never, I never check everything off my to-do list, but if you yeah. look at my, what is done list and counting the small things, we get a lot done. And it's, and again, mm-hmm. people are like, that's so cheesy to be like, oh my God, yay, I got out of bed. But if you've ever had depression, you know, getting out of bed is a big effing deal. Yes. So let's count it. Let's celebrate it really. And not minimize your discount or invalidate the small things. That's how you get to the social media life of everything looks, you know, well, first of all, not everything is as it looks, but right. <laughs> if you're wanting those big goals, you got to start, you know, when I decided to go back to school, if I had said, I want to be on a podcast and I want to do this and that and write a book and I would never have gotten started. That was way too big. My thing was drive through the rain to have a meeting with someone who might be able to help you find a way to pay for this and then get out the application and stare at it for a week and don't fill it out. And then get out a pen and put your name on the application. I mean, little tiny things add up. They do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, when we think about like goal setting and stuff, we have to like super break it down to think about like it. Cause yeah, if you just go straight to like, I'm going to write a book and be on a podcast, it's just like your mind's like, what? Like we can barely get out of bed today. Like exactly. Yes. So much. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so I want to talk about like mental health. One of the things that you talk about in the book is that it's a physical process. Will you just tell us a little bit more about that? Cause that was one thing I was just like, maybe like what, like I deal with anxiety and depression. I'm like, maybe I can like look at things differently now. Like, yeah, you just kind of blew my mind with that. So tell us about that. (laughs) I love hearing that. So, you know, early in my recovery, I sort of stumbled upon this type of therapy called somatic experiencing, Mm -hmm. which is a very like somatic experience. All that is, is a fancy way to say your mind lives inside a brain. Your brain lives inside of a body and mental health. Isn't just about what's in your mind. It's also about what's in your body. And we are not taught this, that anxiety is physical. It's physiological. That's why you can't think your way out of it. Depression Mm -hmm. is in your nervous system. It's, you know, in your spine and it's in your organs, cells, and tissues. And there are lots of ways that our bodies create our moods. And so when people come to me 
feeling like nothing is working, Britt. I've done all the affirmations and I've done all of the thought work and it's not working. It's mm-hmm. like, well, no, that's great work and it's important work, but your mind is only one piece of the puzzle. You you have a yeah. body and your body is very much part of this mental health puzzle. And most of us are not taught that. And most therapists, unless they have somatic training, somatic just means body, um, Mm -hmm. don't know to tell people like you can't think your way out of stuck and you have a body and here's how your body that's like sitting in a car with no gas and yelling at the car for not going. It's like, well, Mm. there's nothing wrong with the car. It's the car is like a mechanical thing that needs gas to run. And so you you know, you have to go to a gas station. So we're all yelling at ourselves for sucking when it's like, well, no, we just need to go to the mental gas station because, and what that means is recognizing the role our bodies play in creating our moods. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit more about like, what can people like look out for in their body? Like, yeah, just tell us more about that. (laughs) The first question that blew my mind when I was in this type of therapy was my therapist asked me, well, I was like, I'm so anxious. I'm so anxious. Her name was Candy Smith and I love her. And I'm like, Candy, I'm so anxious. I'm so anxious. And she's like, okay, Brett, well, where in your body do you feel that? And I'm like, huh? (laughs) no, I'm anxious. Like my my head is racing and my mind is racing. And she's like, okay, like, yep. And she was so patient and (laughs) she's like, where in your body do you feel that? And that question just like kablooied my head. Yeah. Because again, if you do nothing else during your day, but ask yourself, okay, where in my body do I feel overwhelmed? Where in my body do I feel hopeless. Where in my body do I feel rejected? Where in my body do I feel imposter syndrome? You'll Mm -hmm. just, again, you don't have to do anything different except notice that, you know, we have things like clenching fists and tight jaws and a stomach that's gurgling and making weird noises and, you know, chest constriction. And if you start paying attention to the body cues, then it's like, oh, I feel like I'm clenching really tight. So my body might need something from me right now. And that's how you start learning the language of our bodies that we walk around in. Yeah. And then, so like, once you notice that, like, then what do you do? Is it just kind of like, I just need to relax and like, what? (laughs) I'm so glad you said that because no, right. Because that's sort of like gaslighting ourselves. Like if my body is feeling threatened, I don't want to try to force it to relax. You know, like if right now you and I were being chased by a tiger and I said to you, just take a deep breath and relax. (laughs) That's not, no, 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 no. So what we want to do is validate that for whatever reason, my body doesn't feel safe right now. And most people get in their own way. Well, it should feel safe. Everything's fine. I have a safe house and my family's really cool and da, da, da. It's like, yeah, but this is an automatic unconscious body thing. You don't need to logically see a lion chasing you. If Mm -hmm. your body is constricting and sweating and tense and feeling like it's about to collapse in on itself, it's because it perceives danger. So then the next question isn't what's wrong with me. And it's not, well, why am I like this? It's okay. Well, I don't know why my body feels unsafe, but it does. Mm -hmm. So what will help me feel a little safer right now? Not better, not happier, but safer. And there are usually people, places, things, and thoughts that help us feel safer. Like I have my dog sitting on my feet right now. And I love my little guy. 
And having my dog sit on my feet does help me feel safe and grounded. So I may not think my body should be freaking out, but I know one of my safety cues is my dog. Mm -hmm. And so really asking what people, places, thoughts, or things help us feel safe is a great way to start working with the fact that you have a body. Yes. Oh, I love that so much because I mean, first of all, immediately, like when I, you know, am having like anxiety, like, like panic attacks. And like, I love how we're going to get into that about how you call them panic Mm -hmm. episodes instead, which I love. Um, but you know, like my first thought is always just like, Oh my God, what is wrong with me? Like I should feel better. And so like, I love that you're like, you don't have to know, but like, just acknowledge that you are feeling that way. And like, what can you do to be like a little bit safer? Cause I think that's so important is because I think a lot of times we can be like, oh my gosh, like what's wrong with me? I just need to be like happy, like nothing's happening, but it's just like, don't beat yourself up over it. Cause like, then like, that's when you go down like that rabbit hole of just like, at least for me, I'm like, I go down a rabbit hole of like, oh, like it sucks. I suck. Everything sucks. Yes. And it's so shamey and it's all of the, you know, the example I like to give is because asking, why do I feel this way is a useful question. It's just Mm -hmm. not the first question. If I walked up to a burning building, I'm not going to stand at the stare at it and be like, I wonder why this building is on fire. And I wonder how this fire came to be. And I wonder what factors contributed to it. It's like, get the people out of the building. We'll yeah. out what happened later. You know, we don't need to know why a fire started to get mm-hmm. people out of the building. And yeah. so with our mental health, if you can think of it as, okay, your brain's on fire. We don't need to figure out why or who or what you don't need to know the story. Let's just get everybody safe. And then once you get to safety, the, what happened and why that question is important. And then it becomes actually possible to answer it. And it's not always, you don't always need to know your story to heal, but like, if you think of the fire thing, step one, there's a fire. Well, Mm -hmm. there's shit. If I'm staring at a burning building, the building really shouldn't be on fire because, you know, the wires were done right. And I I just don't think that this building should have a problem. And it's like, okay, well, that's great. But the building's on fire. Yeah. (laughs) You think it should be, it is. So let's get the people out and we'll figure out what happened later. Your mental health is the same exact kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, your metaphors are just so good. <laughs> they really help like, oh yeah. Like, cause yeah, you wouldn't see a burning building and like question it. Like, no, you're going to like do the first thing to like put the fire out and get the people out. Right. But the architects really had a good blueprint and the people right. that built the building really did a good job. And it's like, how often do we, but my family is so great. And it's like, I don't care how awesome the architect of that building was. I don't care how capable and competent and loving the builders were. The building is on freaking fire. So let's get the people out. Step yeah. one. Yeah. And so what you kind of remind me of now is with trauma. I want you to talk <laughs> about trauma because that was another thing when I read because like I feel like especially now I see things that are just like oh you're this way because of childhood trauma and I'm like but my childhood was good so like I don't understand and like why do I get in these like bouts of like anxiety and depression like everything should be fine like I haven't experienced trauma but the way you said trauma like like explained trauma in the book I was just like oh okay <laughs> so tell, right. us, tell us about what <laughs> trauma actually is <laughs> The whole, I had a good childhood, therefore I can't have trauma sort of misrepresents what the word means. And like, since the pandemic trauma has become very trendy. And so, you know, everything is trauma all of a sudden. And everyone is like, oh, I can't because of my trauma. And it's like, okay, well, 
I'd rather us be talking too much about it than not enough about it, but it really does. That word gets misused a lot. And so the definition that I use comes from um, the meadows of Wickenburg, which is like the mothership of trauma research in Arizona. And they define trauma as anything that is less than nurturing, anything Mm -hmm. less than nurturing. Now, some people get really pissy about that. Cause it's like, Oh, great. So we're just little fragile flowers running around and everything is going to traumatize us. It's like, not everything is going to traumatize us, but mm-hmm. anything can. And here metaphor alert, here we go. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like to think of trauma, like indigestion of the brain. So like, you know, if you eat poor, you know, like contaminated fish, you're probably going to get sick, but you can also feel sick from eating the same apple and turkey sandwich that you eat every day. It's like, we don't get a conscious say why a piece of food is not sitting right with us. And so trauma is really our brains struggle to digest and metabolize our experiences. So you may have very well had a good childhood, but if you think of the infinite things flying at our brains every second of every minute of every day, there's plenty, you know, of quote food that could sit wrong with us. So your parents might've done a great job, but let's say that you moved as a kid and it was a great idea. And it's because, you know, your parents got a new job and it was great. Moving can be really traumatic for a kid because their brains have trouble digesting that experience. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, I wouldn't say to someone, oh my God, you're so weak. Why can't you digest that, you know, that piece of food? It's like, it's just, you start to pay attention to how we are wired. It's like, wow, our digestion does its thing without our input. I may not think I should have a stomach ache, but I do. And trauma Mm -hmm. is just brain indigestion. Our brains are not digesting whatever the experience was. And trauma doesn't have to be about bad things, you know, like abuse, assaults, you know, oppression, all of those things are sort of like the contaminated fish. Those Mm -hmm. things are almost guaranteed. They don't always, but they're almost guaranteed to create some problems. Yeah. But the the other things that happen just regular everyday normal life, I say normal in quotes, (laughs) regular life things can also cause trauma right? It's not as severe, not all trauma is the same, but Mm -hmm. every experience has the capacity to not sit well in our nervous systems. And so trauma is brain indigestion to, we all have it to a degree. Yeah. And so like with this, like brain indigestion, like how can we better process these things to like move forward? And then like, how does it kind of relate to like being stuck and getting unstuck? I love that question so much. So it really helps as a starting place to validate that you you have it. You know, Mm -hmm. I could be like, I don't have a stomach ache. I don't have food poisoning. I'm not puking all over the place. (laughs) You can't heal from something if you're unwilling to name it. And so if you are struggling with anxiety or depression, or you're feeling stuck, or you're constantly in a indecisive swirl of what do I do? What do I do? If you, you know, all of these things, again, you don't need to know why the building caught on fire. Just Start with the assumption that there might be some trauma there and you owning your trauma doesn't in any way take away from people that have experienced things like abuse or assault or war or natural disaster, et cetera. And we do the comparison game and Mm -hmm. that's like saying, well, that building on fire isn't as bad as the other building on fire. So we're not going to put it out. It's like, no, 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 you you get to put out your fires no matter how small. So step one I may have some trauma. It's 
guaranteed that I, if I have these symptoms, that there is some trauma is somewhere brain indigestion is present somewhere. So that's Mm -hmm. step one, validate it. Then step two is going back to the, where in my body, do I feel this? And then step three is the safety thing. Now, again, I am like really reducing a very complex process to like, (laughs) here are three easy steps to deal with your trauma. It's not that simple. It is very complex and there's lots of factors, but you know, if we're just doing high level, step one, validate that you have trauma. Step Mm -hmm. two, notice that it's in your body. What does it feel like? Step three, try to figure out things that help you feel safer. And that's a great, that's a great starting place. Yeah. I mean, I think even just like validating that you have it, I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people are going to hear that and just be so impacted by it. And to know that, yes, everyone has drama on like different or trauma on different levels, but it's, you, you still have that and you still have a right to kind of like validate your, how you're feeling and know that like, yes, it may not be the same as someone else's trauma, but like, it's still there. I think a lot of times we do see like other people's and think like, well, I haven't had it as bad as them, so I shouldn't worry about it. And right. And metaphor alert. Again, I love my metaphors. It's just, they're great. (laughs) When I was like early in recovery, I couldn't process things. I needed, I needed simple metaphors to help me understand what the hell was happening. So like you're wearing glasses right now. Are those prescription glasses that you're wearing? They're very cool. So (laughs) your prescription is probably not needing to be as strong as someone else's. Like someone Mm -hmm. down the street from you probably has worse eyesight and probably needs a stronger set of lenses. But like, would you ever say to yourself, I don't really deserve to wear these glasses because it's Mm -hmm. not like I have vision that's like this severe. Someone down the street has worse eyesight. Therefore, I need to take up my glasses and I don't get to go to the (laughs) eye doctor and I don't deserve to see. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same exact thing with trauma. You're yes. not saying that you have the worst eyesight in the world. You're not saying that you're better than or more deserving than. You're just saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, my eyes are blurry. These glasses can correct them and I'm going to correct them cuz why not? It does not affect in any way the person down the street if you wear right. glasses." Yes. I mean, that that's such a great example because yeah, I mean, it's so true. Like I wouldn't just like deny myself the like, um, right of vision because someone else might have like worse vision. Like, no, I still need to like deal with my vision and like get it corrected. And then I think that also kind of just goes into like healing yourself and like with mental, um, illness, you know, I think a lot of people are, acknowledging now like that it is more real I am curious like kind of dive into like mental health more with you um so I think one of the things that you kind of talked about like we talked about earlier with like the physical process but like just kind of like the way that you described mental health for me it just seemed like more of a uh like it's something I could deal with but it doesn't have to be like the end-all be-all I can like shift my brain and shift how I look at things. And I don't have to be like in this anxiety, depression forever. If that makes sense. Absolutely. And what <laughs> yeah. we know about the brain is the brain you have now is not the same brain that you're going to have 10 years from now. Our brains grow and change. Yeah. And I, I have a feeling I'm going to get in a lot of trouble with some people for saying <laughs> this. And I, I will, it's in the book and I say it and I will stand by it. Yeah. I don't like the disease model of mental health. And yeah. this is, and I am just full disclosure. I take antidepressants. Mm-hmm. I come from a family with severe mental illness. Like my grandmother had shock therapy 
therapy in, you know, early on, like all of those things. I had suicidal depression. I had personality disorders, eating disorders, drug addiction. So I in no way I'm insensitive to the severity of the symptoms. However, I don't look at it as a disease. A disease can be defined as something going wrong inside of our bodies. If you look at all, almost all, I won't say all, if you look at nearly all of our symptoms, even, and I've worked in patient psychiatric hospital, I've seen like hardcore, what quote mental illness looks like all the symptoms make sense in context. If you look at the person's upbringing, if you look at what was done to them, if you look at what they had access to, if you look at how they were raised, all of our mental health symptoms make sense in context. Now we may Mm -hmm. not know, like, why do I feel this way? I don't know, but I know Mm -hmm. that all symptoms make sense. And a lot of what we call mental illness, the reason I don't think of it as a disease is because It's not about something, you know, anxiety is not about something going wrong in your brain. Anxiety Mm -hmm. is a symptom that your brain is perceiving danger. And again, it's like, well, what, I don't think I should be in danger. Well, that's cool. But your brain gets to call (laughs) that particular play. And if you think of the metaphor alert, if you think of the check engine light in your car, Like Mm -hmm. when the check engine light comes on, the light is not the problem. Like we Mm -hmm. don't say my car now has a check engine light disease. It's like the light comes on because there's a problem somewhere and the light is there to alert us. So going back to the panic attack thing that you mentioned, I appreciate panic doesn't attack. It informs Mm -hmm. now panic sucks. I don't like, I would almost rather do anything than experience a panic. I don't call them attacks. I call them episodes. Yeah. Um, but it's not actually attacking us. A panic episode is our brain's alarm system going completely like bonkers because it's trying to tell us that there is a safety issue somewhere. And Mm -hmm. so the opposite of mental health to me is not mental illness. The opposite of mental health is unsafety or a brain Mm. that doesn't feel safe. And again, we can't, we can't always correct that because of things like access to resources and privilege and safety, but almost I will say in my experience, and this isn't a universal, but I have never seen it where the fundamental problem is inside someone versus Mm -hmm. the systems that are at play that create barriers for their healing and health. And that's not a disease that's inside of them. That's a system around them. That's not equipped to help them heal because of lack of information or lack of treatment providers or whatever. But I do not call all that to say, (laughs) I do not think of mental illness as a disease. I think of it as our inner alarm system, not having what it needs to register that we're safe. Yeah. And then, so like, how, um, does like taking like antidepressants, like Mm -hmm. how does that like play into that? Sure. And I take them, I take antidepressants, full disclosure. Um, it's like wearing glasses, you know, your glasses are not like medicine because you're broken. It's like your glasses Mm. are a tool to help correct your vision. Antidepressants are a tool to help your brain. And again, the chemical imbalance theory is a theory. It's not a fact. There's no such thing as a chemically quote balanced brain and psych meds. And I'm not a doctor. So always talk to your doctor about your medication and never go off your meds without talking to your doctor. So that's my (laughs) Um, you know, psych meds are largely like, let's throw the spaghetti at the wall and see mm-hmm. what sticks. So I tried lots of different meds. I happened upon one that helped me feel a little bit 
more like myself. It didn't yeah. make my pain go away. It just rounded out my edges a little so I could get my therapy done so I could work through my own stuff. But yeah. you know, like taking meds is like wearing shoes. It's like you wear shoes because it's easier to walk around in the world with shoes on. It's easier yeah. to walk around with a brain if you know you find the right medication. So I don't think of meds as a disease intervention as much as a, it's just a corrective tool to help your brain. Yeah. I, I mean, that's just like a really good way of putting it of just like another corrective tool. Cause I think a lot of times, especially it goes back to like the, like, what's wrong with me. I need to be fixed, but it's just like, no, it's just like you, you know, need a little extra help, but that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. And, you know, along with like the other ways of just kind of like being aware of what's going on and how to like keep yourself safe. And it's an ongoing process. Um, yeah. I mean, and what kind of along those lines, like, what would you say to that of like, with like being stuck and like, just like life, like life is ongoing. And I mm-hmm. wish that it was just like, we would like reach this point of like, oh, everything is perfect. And we never right? have to do anything again. <laughs> but I love like in the book, like, I mean, when I first like got your book and I was just like, oh, stuck. Like I was just thinking of like stuck, like professionally. Cause like, that's where mm-hmm. I was mentally. But then you talk about like everything, like with relationships and just, so tell us a little bit more of just like what people can find in the book that we haven't like talked about yet. Yeah. So, and again, I, I wrote the book to be a super easy to access thing. It's not, you know, you don't have to go diving into theory. It's like, look at the chapters, pick if, if you're professionally stuck, go there. If you have compulsive relationships to food or chemicals, go there, like pick whichever, if you have issues with your family, go there. And so pick whichever topic is your thing. And then you'll find in there, you'll find like, <laughs> here are 10 things you can do. Here are some tools. Here's just the basics. You know, here's just enough information. So you don't feel crazy because mm-hmm. there's no such thing as a crazy person. There's not, I don't believe in crazy and there's no such thing as a lazy person. I don't believe in lazy and there's no such thing as an unmotivated person. So most people will say I'm either lazy, crazy, or unmotivated. And really that book is my effort to completely dismantle the myth of all three of those. There's a reason you're stuck. It's the gas is empty. It's not that the car sucks. Same thing with you. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and I'm just like, we're like running out of time. So it's like, people will just have to read the book to really find out this thing. <laughs> um, but what message do you just want to leave with people today? Mm, let stuck is not permanent. Like mm. you can heal really, you know, lack of healing is not about you being broken. It's about access to resources. Um, you know, if you have a relatively safe enough environment and you have willingness and you have access to the right information, your brain can heal. Like it can, and it does, and it will. And I am perfectly living proof of that because really disaster of a human. And now I'm not as much and (laughs) you can, you can heal. You do not have to stay stuck. Stuck is not a permanent landing spot. Yes. I love it. And then I always like to ask, like, how has being yourself impacted your life and your success? How has being myself? 
mm-hmm. impacted my life? That's a cool question. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, okay. So I have a quote in the book and I'm blanking on who said it right now, but it's, you know, no life will make you happy no matter how successful, if it's not truly your own and mm-hmm. no life will make you miserable if it's authentically yours. So, Ooh. you know, choosing to own myself allows yeah. me to make choices and live a life that's mine and no life will make you miserable if it's authentically yours. Assu- okay. Disclaimer, assuming you're not under threat or under siege or things like that, but right. yeah, your life, if it's yours and it's authentic will not make you miserable. Oh, I love that quote so much. Like I wish uh- I could remember now, but I can't, but I didn't make that up. Somebody else did. And it's great. Yes. I love it. I mean, your book is just so filled with like like research from other people and good quotes. And I love the charts and I love like at the end of the chapters you have, like, here's how you, you know, can take what I just said and apply it to your life. And it's just so great. So where can people like find the book and just like find you and connect with you? Yeah. So I spend an, like an inordinate amount of time on Instagram. So it's just my name at Brit Frank. So come say hello there. And you can find out information about the book at scienceofstuck.com and wherever books are sold, you'll find it. <laughs> okay. <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brit. This has just been an amazing conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Thank you for listening to the BU podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your friends and write me a review. I would love to hear from you. And you can find me on Instagram at beautifulchick or on my website, beautifulchick.com. Remember, be you, be beautiful.